The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the web. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, From Victim to Victor, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. She's testified many times in Congress and the California Legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. And you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly Factor, and many other shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash privacypiracy. Hey, Mari, what's our show about today? Well, Lloyd, today our show is a little bit about employee privacy. And so we have a wonderful guest, actually, who was who's also a CIPP like me, and, and he also has a lot of other designations, and he was at the International Association of Privacy Professionals. So let me tell you a little bit about David Melnick, and he is the founder and CEO of Web Life Balance, and he's a security and privacy leader and has lots and lots of great experience. He is the founder of CEO and CEO of Web Balance Life, and he has almost 25 years experience in technology and security. David has worked extensively with both U.S. and global companies, advising them on setting strategy, developing risk-based priorities, and effective governance of highly sensitive and regulated data. And we know from all the big data breaches that that's a huge issue now. So this is great experience and expertise. David, uh, David's experience includes implementing security technology and addressing privacy regulatory requirements, including global, U.S., federal, and U.S. and state uh, privacy requirements. He has published several books, which is very exciting, with major publishers. And currently, his books have been translated into four languages, including Japanese, Chinese, and Italian. David is a certified information privacy professional for the United States. He is a certified information systems auditor, a CISA, and a certified information systems security professional, which is a CISSP. All those letters after his name, but he's terrific, and we're thrilled to have him with us. Thanks for joining us from just up the coast. Thank you, Mari. Glad to be here. Yeah. So, David, why don't you tell us a little bit about what Web Life Balance is? What, what does it do? What is it? Well, it's simply bringing the bold idea of isolating personal web browsing from business web browsing. A relatively simple idea, but a brand new idea. And part of the vision is that we're enabling enterprise security and data protection by doing this. But another aspect or a byproduct benefit is that for the first time in the U.S., you'd be changing the way we think about this topic and actually granting employees the right to privacy instead of what we normally focus on in enterprise programs, which is to avoid 
accidentally creating any expectation of privacy. So <laughs> a little bit of a different way of thinking about our security problems. And, you know, that's so important nowadays because people call me all the time and they're really worried about their privacy at work. And, you know, with all these mobile devices, it becomes, um, you know, your, your, your home, your family, your friends, your boyfriend, you know, all those people might want to get a hold of you. And, uh, you know, should that be completely blocked out? Should you leave your mobile device at the door? And so these are... These are important issues because we also want to keep our employees. We have good employees, and we want to keep them loyal and keep them happy and keep them productive at the same time. So it's a big challenge, isn't it? It it certainly is. I mean, I I think one of the interesting tensions that we face in the workplace today is that the way companies come at this problem is that they – and I spent the last 15 years from the security side working on behalf of companies – really in the role of big brother. My primary yeah. job is, was really to help organizations monitor and control what employees were doing as the Internet became widely available. So, so most of what companies have done has been in the business of trying to achieve security by locking down and controlling what employees do because, you know, in all fairness, 94% of malware comes into an organization from that employee clicking on the wrong link. Right, right. Hmm. So... So how do you do, you know, how do you resolve these problems? So, you know, this fundamental tension that I'm alluding to in the workplace where, you know, employers largely have an acceptable use policy when you sign on board that says you have no right to privacy, right? You can't do any personal work. You know, over 73% of companies have uh, an acceptable use policy that says you can't even do anything personal in the workplace, right? Everything you do will be monitored. But the reality is that I think if you talk to almost anyone, they'll say, well, I do some level of personal web browsing at work. I mean, there's, there's just a complete civil disobedience to this set of policies that are so widespread. And that is this significant and underlying tension in the workplace that we have. Yeah, yeah. So how is the privacy landscape in the United States, you know, with regard to employees and things, how is that compared to other com- uh, countries? Like I'm thinking like the European Union, which has a lot more privacy protections, um, you know, opt-in, et cetera. So can you give us some idea of how that's different than the United States? I, I certainly can. It's, so, it's such a dramatically different philosophical approach. I mean, in, in its simplest, you know, both the U.S. and Europe have the idea that we have a right to privacy. And both the U.S and the European Union have this idea that we have individual freedom. The difference is, um, at its core on some level, in the U.S., we view that freedom as meaning that if we want to yield all of our privacy rights to an employer for the exchange of a paycheck, that we have the freedom (laughs) to do that. (laughs) Whereas in Europe, we can't give that right away. I I was in France two weeks ago meeting with the CNIL, which is the the French regulator, the data protection authority in France. And we were having this conversation, and it was just unbelievable the way they viewed, you know, how they protected the employee and the rights of the employee in the workplace, that an employer just can't, could not tell an employee that they can't send a personal email over the corporate email system. That would be a violation of how they interpreted their laws in France. Interesting. Huh. 
What else? I mean, what what about some of the other companies? How about outside of the European Union? Of course, there's probably no privacy in China or Russia, right? Well, <laughs> it's interesting because I was I was in uh, Japan and then in Singapore last year doing some presentations on this topic, and surprisingly, I would say the U.S. and the EU have 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 staked out the opposite extremes on some level of what the employers can do versus what the employees' rights are. Uh-huh. Um, but you find a little bit of a, as you go through, I mean, China has a belief that employers have the right to monitor. Anyone that follows the topic of privacy around China would probably not be surprised. <laughs> um, but, but interestingly, if you look at Singapore's new law, if you look at what's happening in, in Malaysia, if you look at um, the requirements in Japan, you know, there is concepts of notice that, you know, you have to provide some level of notice is emerging mm-hmm. as, as, a, as a right. There, there, there are some... Um, Specific, like in Hong Kong, for example, though it's the guidelines are not mandatory. There is this idea that the em- employee monitoring should be, you know, should be limited, or there should be a justifiable reason. But, um, but in general, I would say that that there's that across Asia, generally speaking, um, it's really security is our is the driving theme, and privacy um, is a little bit closer to what we do in the U.S. as opposed to Europe. You know, with the exception of Australia and a couple of other countries that are looking at adequacy to trade with the with the EU. Hmm. So, in terms of corporate America, okay, there is it, there is some differences, right? I know some some companies are are having their own social media sites and want people to be able to use that. So. How is the landscape even within our country? What do you see in differences? within corporations? Well, I always... I, I, some people don't necessarily obviously see this connection, but, you know, the debate that's happening in the broader public um, environment about Snowden and whether or not the NSA and our uh, goals of security, you know, require us to give up our individual rights to freedom and privacy. Right? That, that whole debate that's taken on... You know, over the last 15 years, frankly, security has won the day. I mean, in the post-9-11 world, yes. we've been focused on security at the expense of privacy, and most of us that work in the field understand that. Mm-hmm. And I think if you then draw that same parallel down to the employer-employee relationship, you will see it even at a, at a more dramatic extreme, that in the workplace in the U.S., there has been sort of a common dogma, a common doctrine that the employee will have no right to privacy and the employer, in the name of security and in controlling liability, will do whatever it needs to do. Um, and, and, and I think that, that still is sort of what you see in the workplace. The, the guidance is ensure your policies don't inadvertently create any expectation of privacy. It's, it's most dramatic in the digital domain because, shockingly, um, you know, when I go into the workplace, you know, you can't search a woman's pocketbook without a real reason, right? You, right. you even have case law protecting, you can't just go and listen to their voicemail. Right. But when you go into the digital space around email, you know, if you have the right policies in place, you can pretty much do whatever you want. I think the only case law example I found where we, we had some restrictions was an employee talking to a lawyer, but not just their lawyer about anything in general. They were talking to their lawyer about a case that specifically 
related right. to the employer. Well, and that, that was about they, the only they, area yeah, where it seemed like there was some privacy protection. Well, that's the attorney-client privilege. That wasn't even really privacy. It was more about the long-standing, um, you know, uh, laws and and beliefs of attorney-client privilege of being able to talk with your attorney even in jail. You're supposed to be able to talk with your attorney without you know, without being uh, monitored. So I think th- that's been so long that that's probably why that one um, was a different kind of a case law. That's yeah. fascinating. You know, I actually should think about whether or not you might have greater privacy rights in jail than you do in the average workplace. I should really <laughs> take a look at yeah, that. Yeah, I don't, I don't really think so. But all right, but, but there has been a distinction between using the devices that belong to the company versus your own personal device, correct? So, yes. for I mean, example... I think if, I should yeah. try, probably draw a distinction. Yeah. And, you know, there is a legitimate reason why employers in the U.S. are doing such extensive monitoring of their employees. I mean, you have a, a long history of case law around liability. And, right, right the employer is responsible for the, the actions, in many cases, of its employee. And so... Right. Monitoring, there are real reasons. So when you think about the BYOD and bringing your, your personal device to work, right. I think I would break them into two categories. One is where it's my own personal device, but I'm connecting to, let's say, a corporate infrastructure, either yeah. you know, Wi-Fi or somehow I'm, I'm moving data over the corporate network, right. connecting to corporate assets. Right. I, would, I would separate that from I'm bringing my personal device and it's going through some other public network, like right. my AT&T phone over an AT&T network. Right. So you really see that they, they pretty much don't mess with those phones. The BYOD going over another network doesn't touch the corporate infrastructure. Right. You know, generally speaking, if those devices are allowed in, you're going to have some level of privacy there. But the moment you connect to the corporate network, right? I think the level of monitoring that's done would surprise most employees. I, I think most employees would would be, you know, the, there is not transparency let's, as a privacy principle around the extent. I mean, I... If you ask the average employee if he believes that when he logged on to, let's say, his bank to do a transaction at work, if he thought that that was private, yeah, I think the average employee would probably figure it was not understanding that the sophisticated company today is breaking that HTTPS session, is doing a man in the middle, essentially, the kind yeah. of thing we talk about in China, right? We're, yeah. we're intermediating that, that HTTPS session, that SSL session, doing packet-level inspection, and so when you're connected to Gmail and you see that lock in the HTTPS, you know, be careful because, you know, it may be rule-based. It may not be an IT guy sitting in the back room just reading it all for pleasure. Right. But, but there's going to be inspection of that correspondence. And they really, they kind of have to if they're going to have any control over, you know, exfiltration of intellectual property or other risks that they face. Right, right. But, but I think employees wouldn't necessarily realize that they were subject to that level of monitoring. No, I'm sure that they don't. And people do stupid things. I mean, I'm constantly telling people never use the, um, you know, the company computer to send private emails. Don't even do that anywhere, anywhere. You know, you've got it on your phone. Use your phone. Go out. If you're not supposed to use your phone, then, you know, during lunch or something, just don't do it. It's it's crazy. But it's not really that same way. Like if somebody, like if your doctor calls you and at work, they can't just listen into that. You know, you were talking about that. So that's the difference. Is if you're using a company phone to talk to your doctor about your cancer therapy, they can't listen in on that. 
you know, it's so interesting because then juxtapose that to Europe again and back to that meeting with the French regulator. Yeah. We specifically talked to them about personal email being exchanged. And the, the, the context was if we're, people are trying to roll out the most advanced sorts of security software. And endpoint security, there's a, a space called DLP or data loss, data leakage prevention. Right, right. And it's endpoint security tools that are very sophisticated in the level of monitoring we can do of the desktop, right? Akin to what you might monitor on your 15-year-old's, I, I should be careful now, on your 15-year-old's computer, right? Yeah, Keystroke yeah. logging, the whole thing. And the question was, we'd like to put some policies in, right, to be able to monitor for certain rules, right? If we see a credit card going out the door, right? If we see a social security number. Right. And at the same time, there's the concept of marking your emails as personal. Mm-hmm. And so from the, from the French regulatory perspective, if I mark that email as personal, then as an employer, you should not read that email. And the question was, well, what if I've got a rule that it flags that, you know, and, and it was, you cannot just arbitrarily even read email if it's been marked personal. I mean, if, if there's a broad rule that it triggers on that's been well vetted, you know, maybe you could ex- escalate that specifically around that case. But by and large, if it's marked personal, we've got to leave it alone. And it's such a dramatic difference between the U.S. where there's no such protection, right? Right, right. You know, they, there is no expectation of privacy on their devices. That's the way. I think that the, the real weird part becomes when, let's say, like I have, um, you know, a, a nephew who is with a very big company, and they gave him an iPhone, and he uses that iPhone. It's, it's you know, as a personal device, but he also uses it as a company device. And even when he is away on vacation, it really belongs to them, doesn't it? So you've got this whole issue of who is giving you the device. Do you need to have two iPhones? Right, it certainly is. And, and much like privacy notices in the public domain, I think too often employees do not really even read the acceptable use policies they sign around employment. Um, but I think if most of them did, it would probably be very clear on the point that that device he has could be monitored and you know his text messages, anything he's doing on that is subject to, to monitoring. And you know, one of the interesting things I think companies are facing is that they're monitoring so much that uh, they have to be a little careful that if they take action based on any of that, it doesn't appear selective, right? There was a recent lawsuit right. where right, they, they let go of some people. Those people counter or sued the company and won a seven-figure lawsuit because they fell into an age group that made it look like ageism or age discrimination mm. because everyone was doing personal stuff and it, they only picked these people to fire, right? Uh, interesting. Yeah. Huh. So what other kinds of trends do you see with, re- with regard to employee monitoring? So I think that, you know, what I found is uh, with the Snowden and the increased public debate that there's a, a, a bit of a reexamination of what level of privacy is the right balance. And this is especially pronounced in companies that are finding themselves working globally. And so they're they're coming into contact with the kinds of requirements in jurisdictions like France and Germany and other European member states. Right. I, I think that, you know, what's, what's happening is that the security space and our industry, it's still security is the trumping priority. Of course. And we've got a dogma in place that's developed over the last 15 years, which says 
in order to achieve security, I have to sacrifice privacy, and they've been viewed as in conflict. Right. And so we're in this real struggle where we recognize employees are going to be doing personal stuff at work, and that ship has sailed. We're not going to be able to take the Facebooks away from them, by and large, in most organizations. And yet, security is such an increasingly focused priority that I have to continue to lock them down. And so we're finding ourselves in a, this heightened problem. And so you know, part of what I've got struck by lightning and said is that there might actually be a better way to approach this whole problem, that you know, perhaps by granting privacy to employees, you might actually solve some of your other problems. You might actually be able to achieve a higher level of security, you know, reduce your liability, which it's been interesting for me to experience how locked into our current way of thinking we are. It's such a, it's such a bold new idea that it's, it takes a while for people to even wrap their hands around that possibility. Yeah, you know, I, I'm sure you know who uh, Anne Kavukian is, the Commissioner of Ontario, the yeah. Privacy Commissioner of Ontario, and she talks about privacy by design. We've had her on the show several times, and she's become a dear friend. And, um, you know, she talks about privacy by design, and kind of like what you're saying is you can have security and privacy. And she talks about it in Privacy by Design. You build privacy into the architecture of whatever system or app or product or whatever you have. You build that in, and you can still have security. So why don't you talk a little bit about that? How do you do that from your perspective? Well, so, and I love, and Anne is one of the few voices you hear out there that's really waging that philosophical war to say, you know, that they can coexist and actually help each other. So I I, I certainly am, I I share your sort of admiration, and uh, and I've only met with her a couple of times, but I I, I really appreciate her point of view on that. And so what what I discovered, kind of inadvertently, I started down a path to solve a very specific regulatory problem in Europe, which was that to deploy endpoint security, I needed to make it okay with the regulators in Europe. So the first reason why we isolated personal web browsing into a discrete secure container and blinded the company to that activity was so that then it would be an enabler and then they could secure everything else because Ah, by design there isn't any personal stuff there now, so it's just business stuff. Right. So, but, But what I found was a little surprising to me that when we did that and secured that container, we realized that all of the most high-risk activity was really that personal activity, that your greatest threat vector, right. the, when, where malware really comes in, is during that personal browsing. And if you isolated into a secure container all of that browsing, you actually reduced your malware risk across the company, so improved your security posture. But then the next question was really about liability. The companies say, well, in the U.S., I have to monitor employees. Because what if they're looking at pornography? What if they're doing libelous activity or fraud? Or um, child porn or something, yeah. Exactly. And so what was interesting to me was by, going, by engaging a third party who would be enforcing reasonable policies, so we're not saying we should open the door to gambling and porn at work, but right, right. By, by empowering a third party so that you had no reasonable knowledge of mm. what they were doing in their browsing, if you granted them that right to privacy... It actually, re- arguably, and this hasn't really been borne out in case law, so, but it arguably would reduce your risk to liability, sort of like sending that employee across the street to Starbucks to do their work as opposed to having them in the, in the office. 
Right, right. So although there, although there a, is, you know, the, the company is paying that third-party vendor to do this, but still, I mean, I think it also makes the employee feel better that the, if again, depending on what the contract says, is that we are not going to be looking at this. We're having a third-party vendor protect this in terms of, you know, some of the illegal stuff or whatever. Um, but I think it also probably motivates the the employee to think, okay, my, my employer doesn't want to be the heavy here. Right, you're unleashing their ability to protect the enterprise because they're going to self right. things into that environment. But then what happens is now since they have this little environment to do Facebook and LinkedIn and Gmail, all of a sudden now you can take all the security tools we have and ratchet them up. You can hard block Facebook hard block all of the YouTubes and other sites that you're concerned about. Right, because they're not, they're not going to try and use it there. Right, because right, you've got a separate place where you can go and do all that stuff. So now you've ratcheted up your posture. You've given the employees, from an employee benefit perspective, this right to privacy, which now brings your policies into rational alignment. Instead of having this broken window problem in the neighborhood where right. everyone's routinely violating one of your policies, and in fact... If an e-discovery matter occurs in litigation or if a regulator comes in, the fact that an employer has a policy that says, I will monitor everything, and employees are not doing anything personal in the workplace, but then, in practice, the employer doesn't enforce those policies. Right, then they really have liability. <laughs> exactly. That actually elevates their exposure. So the right. dogma which says monitor more, control more, but then doesn't have the political will to enforce those policies creates actually, in some ways, a bigger problem. Yes, yes. So are there a lot of third-party, I mean, are you guys like the third-party vendor that does that, or are you the one that just sets it up? I, I'm trying to get clear on so how... let me uh, just yeah. to share with you how novel a concept this is. Okay. This, we are the only company in the marketplace doing this today. It's a brand new idea. It's shockingly, this idea of having a software industry around privacy you know, it's such a fledgling idea. The idea that you might benefit the company by granting privacy to your employees is so foreign that I am, that Web Life Balance is the only organization with a solution that it tries to approach the problem from that way today. I, I think, I feel strongly, aside from, you know, Edith Ramirez, you know, activist FTC efforts and attempts to get data legislation, besides the White House Privacy Bill of Rights pushing for legislation, besides the possibility that we may have some level of privacy legislation, maybe at least an, a preemption around data breach or something, I, I mean, I, I think that it, you've got to take a five-year view to think about any real privacy law in the U.S. that would be meaningful, and it's certainly still probably then not going to be EU-like in nature. Mm -hmm. um, but with this idea, there's the possibility that we might get companies to voluntarily grant employees a right to privacy. And it would be in their own selfish interest to do so, would be my hope. So that's the vision. Yeah, I mean, this, this really does help the employee and the employer. I'm going to sneeze just a second. <coughs> Which means that when you sneeze like that, it means it's true, right? <laughs> But, I mean, basically, we talk about segregating. I mean, this is not, I mean, what you're talking about is, is novel, but it's really something that we've talked about for years in privacy and security, which is segregate. Like, if you have files, segregate and, and encrypt those files that have, 
you know, sensitive data, right? And keep those files separate. What you're asking people to do, what you're asking companies to do is to segregate, segregate all of the social media and put it somewhere where they can use it, but it's not interfering with the corporate um, software and the corporate hardware and all that stuff. It just makes so much more sense to me. Yeah, it's interesting because it's almost exactly the opposite of where most of the software in the industry has gone, which is we are absolutely trying to better understand where the crown jewels are, right? We're trying to better understand what data we care about and then to, and then to do, you know, fine-grained security and isolate and secure just the stuff that we have to worry about, right? Just like you're saying, segregate it. But most of our segregation is entirely focused on securing what the company has to protect, securing right. the important stuff. It's... The idea of turning that whole thing around and saying... Yeah, inside out. Yeah, it's inside out. Say, let's secure <laughs> all the stuff we don't care about that has no relevance to the company. Yeah. And then, by isolating that, then everything else is somehow all, right off the bat going to be more protected. <laughs> and this is a perfect ending. We are out of time. So just um, we'll have to just give your website, and then it's time to go. Okay, David? Thanks so much for the time, Mari. I really appreciate it. I'm at Web Life Balance. And it's just weblifebalance.com. Okay. Thanks again for your time. Well, keep in touch. I think it's fascinating stuff that you're doing. Great job and great thinking and wonderful interview. Thank you so much, David. Bye-bye. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8 a.m. right here on KUCI and visit our website, KUCI.org slash privacy piracy. Thanks. Stay private. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.